What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And I'd like to first start by saying Happy New Year to everyone. Um, this isn't the first episode of the new year. It's not the first episode to post. You've seen some episodes prior to this one. But this is the first episode Jason and I have recorded in the new year. So therefore, it's my first opportunity to say Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, to thank you for all your support in 2022. I can't believe we are entering our third year of this podcast just amazing for a couple of knuckleheads like us, but yeah, I was going to, I was just going to say, what are we still, how, how come, how did this happen? Uh, we're like, uh, what episode is this, by the way, do you oh, have geez. those bean counters ready? Uh, I, not without looking at my notes, but it's, uh, we're over 120 something at this point. Um, and yeah, and how it happens is because of our faithful listeners and supporters who uh, keep tuning in and keep us going and uh, subscribing and leaving comments and, and continuing this the discussion outside of the podcast. I love reading all the comments and some of the back and forth that we have on yeah, Instagram. We got a cool, uh, we got a cool, like, sort of like, I don't want to call it a, a, a fan letter, but we got, we got some cool props from someone in the Bay Area, uh, Eric Mortensen, uh, has a podcast of his own, Mordo's Metal Museum. Yeah. And he sent us uh, a really cool letter. So there, there's a shout out to Eric and Mordo's Metal Museum. Yeah, that was and, nice. Uh, he, just, he just wrote this like novella of, of like how he's followed our podcast and it's how it inspired him and... Uh, he just goes off and uh, it's really appreciated when someone who has a podcast tunes into our crap and, and says, <laughs> Oh man, y'all are badass. Your stories are black. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's badass because. Yeah. Uh, well, we're not taken off because of our own promotion. If, if that's how you, <laughs> if that's how you promote us. <laughs> no, there's not really any, any, uh, I mean, People, I mean, we're we're lucky and blessed by way of uh, falling into getting cool cool guests that we think are cool guests. That's not anything uh, shy of. Hey, dude, do you can you be on our podcast? Yeah, it's okay if you can't. If I do, I need to call your publicist. You know, right. that's a conversation that is normal. Or like, you know, hey, Dave how can we get Rob Halford on the show? You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, how can we get Rob Halford on the show? You know, we know his publicist, but yeah. it's kind of like that. Oh shit. Like how can we get, you know, I'm chicken shit. So well, leaving hey, that one up to you. For anyone listening, <laughs> I can assure you we've tried. I can assure you we have tried. Thank you, Dave. Uh, and we're going to continue trying. That's We're going to continue matters. trying. Yeah, good. But good, yeah, good. that 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 email that you shared with me today, the one that you just referenced, was really cool. Anytime somebody takes the time to reach out to us, and you know that one was really uh, special. Anytime someone throws a bunch of kudos at us, or just keeps the conversation going by engaging after the fact, and you 
get these little comments on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot where people say, oh, I like this or I like that, or you should ask them this and such and such is my favorite album. I just love continuing the conversation. That's why we have this in the yeah. first place. So Yeah, that, that kind of helps. That inspires us to, to, to want to keep doing this. Yes. Uh, we're not, you know, there's no money in this. None. And if we're up to, you know, if we're looking at the ass end of 140 episodes or whatever, uh, just in a couple of years, uh, I'll take it. It's been yeah. it's been great. Um, you know, there's no one knocking on our door to be on this show. It's all just for the love of us kind of. I did make it sound like we are falling into these. I mean, scheduling is a nightmare anyway. Looking at a calendar all day long, trying to say, well, this won't work. No, I'm unavailable. I'm on vacation. No, I have a gig that weekend, blah, blah, whatever it is. Life yeah. gets in the way. This is not, this is all just for the sake of rock and roll nerd out. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of. Speaking of. Joey Vera. Yeah, Joey Vera from Armored Saint, Merciful Fate, Fate's Warning, Motor Sister, and many, 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 many more. Yes, uh, was on our show today. Can you believe yeah. it? Yeah, Joey Vera, bass player for Armored Saint and a million other bands, and uh, he he he's a milestone of sorts because uh, Joey completes the lineup. We've had every member of Armored Saint on the Talk Louder podcast. And that's the first time we can say we've had every member of a single band on our show. And, uh, so we're real proud of that. We've had everyone from Armored Saint on our show. We love Armored Saint. And, uh, and Joey was so great, man, just a super chill dude. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple times, uh, with you at various tour stops along the way. And, uh, He's just always a super chill, super sweet, nice guy, very humble. And uh, you can see why people like him, you know, obviously a great musician, obviously a great talent. But uh, the reason that people will get on a bus and spend weeks and months with that dude is because he's just super chill. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to him today. He's, uh, he's, he's a lot of the heart of, uh, of Armored Saint, too. And, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about, um, you know, offers that he's gotten, that he's turned down, you know, things that are relative to that. And it makes sense when you kind of like just hear him tell his side of things as to why he uh, sticks with his family. Yeah. And uh, probably even talks about it with the other Armored Saint guys, you know, and ultimately it's his decision. But I feel like every decision anybody in that band makes, they're they're sharing it and as a family unit. And uh, there's something to be said about Armored Saint being uh, a band that has known each other since the third grade. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's just incredible. And is basically, you know, joined by the, you know, fused together. Yeah, and there's a reason why they're a great band. They're so real. Um, you know, <clears throat> of course, I was lucky enough to spend a week with all of them on the road not long ago. Yeah. And I just got to see everything that he's describing and I'm describing. I got to see it right there and uh, be part of it. And, and I was I was welcome. 
I was, it was red carpet treatment and very, it was, it was very loving and, uh, and it's appreciated. And I'm so happy to have completed our collection of armored saints action figures. <laughs> We've got all, hey, how come there's not armored saints action figures? <laughs> I mean, the name just screams action figure, doesn't it? Armored saints, you know? Yeah, I mean, they could even do, they could do like you, where you could have the suit of armor, but then you take the suit of armor off and they're all just wearing t-shirts and shit, you know? Right. It's like right. 80s armored saint, you know, 2000s right. armored saint. The John know? Bush armored saint with the long hair, the John yeah. Bush armored saint with the with the <laughs> shaved head. Yeah, jo Joey with mohawk, Joey with long hair. Right. Uh, no, they, they don't need that. That's sort of like, they're, be, they're beyond that. They're so real that that would kind of spoil that idea. But the point yeah. is, is uh, we've had all five members uh, on the show and it's, it was such a blast, uh, hanging out with Joey Vera from Armored Saint and many others, uh, Merciful Fate, Fate's Warning, um, here on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs> Of course, Thin Lizzy gear. I got that same hat, except mine is reversed. It's a white hat with the black logo. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, uh, Dave, I, I, I don't believe I ever noticed it before, but Joey wears Thin Lizzy swag every time he's on stage. All right. <laughs> I've been wearing the uh, wearing that belt buckle for quite a while now. Like, oh, yeah. I come. I, 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 I bow in your direction. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's only actually with Saint that I wear it. I don't. I didn't wear okay. it on, with Mercy. I didn't wear it with, with Fates. Roke. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you feel like it's it's helping in some uh, mental or <laughs> physical? Uh, yeah. is it, I mean, I'm not going to say it makes you play better because you just say you, you don't, you don't wear it all the time. So that's not <laughs> it, but does it make you feel oh, more, yeah. more saint-ish? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's channeling a little bit of that, you know, Phil Lynott, yeah. um, front man, rock star thing. Hey, know. happy Malcolm Young's birthday to you guys. Ah, oh yeah. Awesome. The only member of ACDC I ever got to interview. Wow, that's uh, amazing. That's, that's batting a thousand. Yeah. That's amazing. Quick funny story. He called. It was a phoner. <clears throat> and uh, in the days and weeks leading up to the interview, I told all my friends, I'm going to interview Malcolm Young. I'm going to interview Malcolm Young. So he calls my house and I answer the phone and I hear this voice. And it's like, I'm calling for Dave Kleshner. And I was like, this is Dave. And he goes, Dave, it's Malcolm from my CDC. And I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking this is one of my friends putting me on, man, because I told him <laughs> that I was going to interview. And, uh, you know, he, he kept talking. He called at the right time. So but it's, it was almost too funny that, you know, it sounded like a practical joke. <laughs> hey, I have to say for that was a pretty good impression. Well, when you hear that <laughs> voice in your phone, you know, oh, yeah, you know, it. It, you know. 
that's amazing like dirty deeds that backup vocal and it sounds like like a pirate yeah it sounds like a pirate voice yeah chain smoking pirate yeah love it i love it i always wondered who did the background vocals um in a lot of those records because it doesn't sound like bond no no and and i always wondered who it was and some of that you know locked jaw kind of ah, kind of gnarly getting kind of gnash. yeah it's yeah. like a gnashing thing even bond sang like that but he didn't have when he did it it wasn't always gruff and i think when right. angus and malcolm did their backups that's that's the that's the best tone they had and, right. and then uh there's a record i i can't remember what it is it might have been on stiff upper lip there's a, a song called come and get it and they do this low key, come and get it. And I think, I swear it's Malcolm doing it. Come and get in. Well, cheers to Malcolm Young today, then. Yes. Malcolm's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, showed a lot of people how to get it done. Yeah. Simplicity and just great rhythm guitar player. Amazing. It's, it's the notes he didn't play. Yeah, exactly. Best. I've, I've always said there's yeah. power in silence. It's just yeah. where you space it. Where do you yeah. space it? You know. So, Joey, obviously, we just have a conversation. Of course, we have questions yeah. for you. But uh, yeah, no worries. We shoot our intro uh, after you leave the room. It's when we like to say, "Oh, what's it called? Talk shit about you when you're gone." <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's a pleasure having you here today uh to say the least yeah Joey, i'm honored i'm honored to be here thank you I've we got to tell you here. you are the last member of armored saint to be on our podcast and wow. uh, by joining us today this marks the first time we've had every member of a single band on the talk louder podcast so thank really? you really thank you for completing the lineup yeah wow kind wow. of cool we had we've had two from anthrax we've had i think we have we had charlie twice and yeah, no frank twice frank twice and charlie frank twice, once. charlie okay. once yeah yeah um so i don't even know where to start i do i gotta no. ask joey since you're wearing that <laughs> since you're wearing that thin lizzy hat what's your favorite thin lizzy record wow that's pretty tough i've been asked that a lot um but you know i i always i always have to come back to probably the first record that i really uh, dug in deep with them, and that would be Jailbreak. Mm -hmm. um, it's, to me, it's one of those perfect records. Every single song is a gem, and, it, and performances are amazing. Songwriting is amazing. The sound of the record is amazing. It's one of those perfect records for me. I mean, I love uh, Johnny the Fox as well. You know, I love Thunder and Lightning for sort of the same reasons, but those came a little bit later. You know the that for me, Jailbreak was the record where I really discovered them. Actually, they were the first concert I ever saw oh, when wow. I was six, 16 years old. Uh, I was a big Queen fan, and they did a tour supporting Queen. It was Queen on the Day of the Racist tour and uh, Thin Lizzy opening on the Johnny the Fox tour. Wow. And uh, pretty mind-blowing, and that was the first time I saw them. I mean, I knew I'd, I'd heard them songs on the radio and stuff, you know, from Jailbreak, mm -hmm. but they were touring on, uh, on Johnny the Fox, but, right. uh, which was only a year later. 
Yeah. But um, yeah. So that I think I think uh, Jailbreak is is that record where it's just it's nostalgic for me, but it's also every time I hear it, I, mean, I could never listen to that record enough. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great record. There's a reason it's a classic. And I yeah. bet our, our friend, uh, Jason, our friend, Stephen uh, Blackmore is going bananas right now because he <laughs> talks about that Queen and Thin Lizzy tour all the time. <laughs> and uh, so we've got someone who actually saw it with us today on the show. And you know, what's crazy about that tour. Like for the longest time, like I just thought it was, it was, you know, it was Johnny Fox tour and I was going to see Thin Lizzy and knew who was in the band. I knew all the band members and stuff, but it, it didn't really, I didn't really learn until fairly recently, like four years, four years ago or so, five years ago, that the day before they were leaving for that tour, which was on, started on the West coast, Brian Robertson got in a bar fight and, and slashed his hand. Yep. So like, like within 24 hours, they called Gary Moore to fill in. So I actually saw Gary Moore with them on that to- on that show. I didn't oh. even realize it. I was I had nosebleed seats. You know, it was my first show ever, 16 years old. Could only afford the it was at the Forum in Los Angeles. So I didn't know what I was looking at. I was just the onslaught of the you know scene and hearing this music and the lights and um, it was like, surreal to me. I had no idea all this time that that was Gary Moore along with Scott Gorham. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so that, pretty crazy. And that's yeah. uh, also the reason that Brian's not pictured on the Bad Reputation record. That's right. Yeah. Right after that. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That makes it even more legendary and, and special. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean had, Gary, had Gary worked with then Lizzie prior to that? or He was. He, li- he did. On Black he Rose? Filled in, Black he filled Rose in, was, no, Black Rose was later. Later, later. That's right. Okay. He, he did fill in on another occasion, um, again, for uh, Brian Robertson. Uh, I forget the reason, but uh, he filled in for them uh, before that as well on a tour. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do any recording with them prior to that, but he did fill in with them in the live situation with some kind of, uh, I think it was a European tour, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Okay. But He's, so this, would have a, been, this would have been like 77? 77. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Seventy-seven. Wow, that must have yeah. been one heck of a tour, or if first concert even. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, been... I was way, I was way into Queen at that point, you know. Uh, and that at the opera, you know, everybody, yeah. everybody got that record, and I was no exception. But I then I went back and I, I was I listened to you know, sure, Heart Attack and first record, second, you know, Queen two. I was into all of them, and then. Day at the Races was another, that record had just come out. And again, it was already spinning on my turntable. And they, when they opened with, I'll never forget, they opened with Tire by the Down, of course, because that's the opening track on the record. And yeah. I mean, just 16-year-old me just like wetting my pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I so were, you, were you a Thin Lizzy fan at walking in the door? Or did you be, kind of become a convert after seeing them open for Queen? I already liked Thin Lizzy going into it. So I was, I was already into jailbreak when I went to that show. So, um, I mean, when I saw them live, it just made me like realize, yeah, this is a great band. You know, they were just phenomenal. And Phil was such a great front man. I had no idea what to expect. You know, this is before videos and YouTube and stuff. So you, you have your own ideas in your head, but Phil did not expect, uh, just, you know, he just went beyond everything he thought he was going to be. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, after that, it was like, uh, that's when I went back and started getting into more older Thin Lizzy records like Nightlife yeah. and, um, you know, some other ones. And then from then on, just like, I, I was with them all the way to the end, you know, it was yeah. great. Always a great band. Do yeah. you like the, uh, the, the spoken word side of Thin Lizzy? Like the really early i mean i feel like some of that leans in on like almost a spoken word <laughs> uh, like the very first in lizzie record is almost like this trippy psychedelic uh thing i have a couple of copies of the first record it's really trippy uh yeah, you, yeah, you familiar with that one yeah i'm not had... that familiar with that one but yeah uh, i do know like in the beginning that they were there were something else kind of and then they yeah morphed into yeah oh yeah what what, right. what would become sure. you know like even nightlife was like a pre jailbreak kind of thing you yeah know? nightlife but, uh, is the one where they that's the one that set the template it wasn't quite there yeah. yet but that's the first time that uh brian robertson and scott gorham joined forces because yep. prior to that it was just eric bell they were a three yeah and exactly. so it kind of had more of a traditional folksy kind of yeah blues yeah it did and it got and roll. I mean, some of that stuff's great too. Um, you know, I mean, some of that stuff's just really good. Well, whiskey uh, in, a yeah. jar, in a in a jar came from that period. Yeah, yes. uh, Eric yeah. Bell. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I I like fighting. Uh, yeah. fighting. Of, oh, fighting's great, right? That's yeah. a great record too. Yeah. Shades, of great. A, Shades of a Blue Orphanage is a little bit yeah. um, That's trippy at times, but yeah. you know, I I think it to to come back round. I think. That jailbreak is like Def Leppard's high and dry is like uh, <laughs> UFOs obsession where it's like a peaking moment where every yeah. song is like grabbing yeah. your heart strings, you know, make yeah, yeah, yeah. your emotional uh, values st start to, to quiver a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my first concert UFO and rush in 77. Oh, and so Ooh, was, I, I got to was see that, um, Michael was Shanker. That the, was that the uh, Obsession oh, yes, and, uh, and Farewell? Farewell to King's Tour. I saw yeah. that too. Yeah. The Santa Monica Civic. Yeah. That was a great tour, man. Um, um, that was my, I was about, I was 13, I think. And wow. I just cried. I felt like I was <laughs> having an outer body experience. Yeah. Really yeah. Change. I remember heart. Rush, even though they were touring on the, Farewell to Kings, they opened with Bastille Day. Yeah. Uh, at least they did in LA. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely floored. Well, that's oh, very yeah. similar to Queen opening with uh, Tie Your Mother Down, just yeah. rip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please welcome, you know. You know, so good. So good. Well, listen, yeah. uh, do you think that um, maybe Philip had you were already playing bass um that's a I, question mark was that's, I, that's a that's a good question i think i started right around then okay did you start um, on bass or did you start on guitar and gravitate towards bass or was you were you always was, a bass guy no i started on guitar i'm a frustrated guitar player okay one of those one of those guys uh -huh. um but <laughs> uh, I was playing guitar still, I believe, in 77. I think I didn't switch to bass until 78. Ah. Um, but um, 
yeah, I started on guitar and I've been playing, you know, I got an acoustic guitar when I was 13. Oh, shoot. Sorry. That's sorry. all right. Good catch. My, my, my cat just decided to join us. That's we've right. That happened before. It's, that's not the first cat we've had on the show. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was playing guitar, and then I switched to electric when I was probably fifteen, and then I played for a little while after that before I switched to bass. Um, so I was like, you know, I wasn't even like uh, dreaming to be a lead guitar player. My whole thing. I don't even know why this is maybe because of Paul Stanley and because of Malcolm Young or, you know, but I wanted to be a rhythm guitar player. Like that was my whole thing. Um, so it was almost natural that I went to bass being with that sort of mindset, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So then I switched to bass right at that time. There's something cool about, I don't know how to say this correctly. So I'm just going to say an accomplished musician who literally comes out, you know, decades into their career and says, you know, I've always been a rhythm guy. I'm a rhythm. I don't, I never even was not attracted to, you know, look at me, 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 look at me. You know what I mean? There's something to be said about the Malcolms and the Scottians and the early Hetfields and the, yeah. you know, there's something about that that is attractive to me as well, says the frustrated bass player. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the catalyst for switching to bass, Joey? There was a catalyst and it was, it was kind of a, um, a pragmatic one uh, because we, when we were in, um, when we were in junior high school, <clears throat> um, when I say we, I mean, the, some of the kids I was growing up with, one of which was John Bush and Gonzo was also in junior high school with me, as was Phil. Um, but we we were all sort of starting to play instruments at the same time in in our middle school years. But it wasn't until we went over to the summer of graduating ninth grade, going into tenth grade, where we were, we decided to start a band together. Um, we did have an early incarnation of that band in the eighth grade. We were called Royal Decree. G, uh, you know, way into Queen. Yeah. And uh, we all dressed in white. Uh, thank you, Angel. Wow. And, um, and uh, that group consisted of John and myself, me playing guitar, John singing. And then we had uh, friends, other friends from the neighborhood that was guitar and drums and keyboards. And it was just, it only lasted a year. And we just played covers at lunchtime. It was one of those things. But when we graduated middle school, um, that band disbanded. And then John and Gonzo and Phil and I wanted to start a band. So we decided to do that. But um, we had two guitar players, me and Phil. And Phil was a better guitar player than I was. And uh, we didn't have a bass player. So at that time, kind of backpedaling about six months here, um, John was already deciding that he, he wanted to be a lead singer. But prior to that, he thought he wanted to be like Eddie Lee, Phil Linnott, frontman, singer, bass player. Right. And so his mom went and bought him this nice 1972 Fender P bass. And then he played it for literally like a week. And then he just said, ah, eh, it's not for me. <laughs> he 
put it under the, in this case, under his bed, and it sat there for like six months, at least six months, maybe even longer. So when we were deciding to start this next band, um, we um, needed a bass player, and somebody suggested, well, John has that bass. Why don't you play, pull it out, and it's, at least we can jam until we find somebody, then you know, maybe you could switch back to guitar and whatnot. Right. So I took it out from his underneath his bed and started playing it and it pretty much like immediately fell into my arms and hands and whatever. And I was like, wow, this is, this just felt really natural for me. Wow. Um, so I started playing bass at that moment and ha have ever since. Um, and funny thing about that P bass is I ended up buying it from his mom. His mom paid like 200 bucks for it, like in 1977 or something. Wow. And that thing's, I mean, that thing now is worth like, you know, so much money. But oh, yeah. I, so I bought it from his mom about a year later for 200 bucks. <laughs> and that's, that's the 72 P bass that I played my, the entire beginning of the Armored Saint career. It's the Sunburst P bass with the Maple Neck. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's the same bass. And I told this story a bunch of times and forgive me if I'm redundant here, but no, it's okay. Um, I was going to say part, parts of this are, are in my DNA by now, but yeah, yeah, I love, yeah. I love, it, I love, you know, story. in the fact that you, still, that you still have that thing. That's what I was oh, going to yeah. ask. Is, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I blew the surprise for Dave. Yeah. <laughs> no, I still have it. Yeah. I, um, I retired it from touring because it just has way too much sentimental value for me. So um, it still plays amazing. It's like an old pair of sneakers that just fit right. Um, and I use it for recording only here in LA and never take it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I still have it. It's, it's a killer base. So it always has been. So, so you, yeah. did you use it on the first Saint record on March? Oh yeah. Oh. I've used it on every Saint record until probably until to be honest with you, I probably played it on every single record until probably win hands down. Wow. So that's I, like, 10, I, that's like 10 records. Yeah. And not only that, but I played it on all the fates warning records since 96 as well. Uh, until, you know, once I got into the two thousands, I started playing uh, different fenders in the studio. I'd sometimes I'd play a five string, like for, with fates warning. Mm. Or I would try, you know, I have several other American-made uh, Fender bass, P basses that I would play. And I just started to experiment a little bit and not be so like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But everything I say, everything from the beginning, from March of the Saint all the way to at least, I'll say La Raza, um, that's all that Fender P bass. Wow. Did you ch that's ever awesome. change the pickups or anything or it's all stopped? I've never even changed the strings. <laughs> Come on! No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, the pickups went through several several variations of changes. Um, I had stock in there for a long time, and then I switched over to uh, Demarzio's Seymour Duncan's. Yeah, and ultimately ended up with EMGs in the late '80s, and then the EMGs are still in it. The same ones from '89. Did think. you have to? It's... Did you have to router out any of that precious? cavity to oh, yeah. ouch yeah yeah oh this thing is like not it, it even from day one i never sort of looked at it like i'm gonna keep this as a museum piece you know like yeah and then and then i just i started taking it apart started screwing around with different components and i put it back together i started 
peeling paint off the back. I mean, I did, I did so many things to probably make a lot of people turn in their grave, but, (laughs) but this thing, I had no intention of selling this thing or getting rid of it. So this is mine. And I, I did what I wanted to it. And it has all the character from the abuse that I gave it. Um, Well, that's, but that's kind of like, yeah, that's, that's totally fair because, uh, it it is a museum piece because it's yours and, and it's played and, on all yeah. those albums yeah and the backstory yeah. is yeah. gold so, so when you're yeah. when you're learning to play bass as a as a youngster and uh so the bass is basically sort of a new instrument to you after sort of giving up guitar you start messing around with bass i assume you start uh experimenting with finger playing versus pick and so how did you get comfortable with what ultimately became your style? And do you have a preference one way or the other? Tell us about that. Well, I did start with a pick naturally because being a guitar player uh, going, going that direction. So I did start the, my first year, probably at least the first year I was pretty much predominantly playing with a pick. And um, I don't think it was until about a year later where, you know, I started listening some of my, I started realizing who my favorite bass players were and, um, I, you know, listening to their records and figuring out how they get their sound and the, the notes they chose to play and which notes they chose not to play and all that kind of stuff. And most of them were finger players. So that's when I started, you know, Geezer Butler's the first one. Yes. So I was a huge Sabbath fan and Geezer Butler just, of course, I was like, oh, this guy is a monster. He's from another planet, you know? He's so how a, is he doing he's kind this? Of a you know? goat. He's kind of a goat. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's kind totally. of, he's, he also plays with a pick though, you know, uh, like uh, yeah. he'll, he'll grab a pick and play, you know, I, I guess it's the end of heaven and hell. You know, I've seen him play yeah. pick on stuff like that or, you know, when he, but, but he'll, he'll go in between. It's not yeah. often that I think he uses the pick, but yeah, he's he's uh, undeniably one of the one of the guys. And still, this it's, I feel weird saying this. I don't think he still gets the credit he deserves as a player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't people know. Don't, people don't talk about him enough, in my opinion. And maybe it's maybe it's a generational thing. I mean, I see what yeah. you're saying totally, yeah. but it might be a generational thing. I think I Jason mean, needs to get new friends. you're hanging out with the wrong crowd (laughs) i'm perfectly fine with the friends i have yeah hey um so yeah geezer geezer was the first one and then uh then it was john paul jones and it was john deacon Mm -hmm. and uh you know then i started getting into other kinds of music uh at the same time i was listening to like earth wind and fire so for dean white you know was another influence on me this is all pretty early on when i was 16 17 18 years old so it was those those guys and then of course jaco pastori i discovered him probably in 1980 on his first solo record and that just turned me and most other bass players on their heads and um but these are all finger players so this is that was pretty much the what started what would end up becoming uh, th- this idiosyncratic way that I play, I think, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. And so you mentioned earlier, you, you know, I think it's pretty well known at this point that you and the Armored Saint guys go all the way back to 
your school days. Um, third grade. Third, that's, that just boggles my <laughs> mind, man. I mean, you know what? It would boggle my mind if you said you've been a band since high school. But if you guys have been friends all the way back to third grade, that's really incredible. Yeah, and, I mean, we were uh, we lived in the same neighborhood and we went to the same school. And then we even had some of the same classes, like third grade and fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. But um, and we knew each other, but we didn't we didn't really like like become tight until we graduated uh, grammar school and went into middle school. So in the seventh grade, we sort of uh, just gravitated towards each other. We were I don't know the dorkiest kids in the in the class, and for some reason we were like, let's hang out together because you know strength and numbers kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that's in seventh grade is when we really that's when the friendship became super tight and it's has been ever since. That's amazing. That's, that's yeah. Still pretty young. I mean, still pretty cool thing to say. Like you know, I'm still some of my best friends I've known since you know seventh grade. I mean, that, not a lot of people can say that. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So did you did I hear or read somewhere that? you were involved in a car crash with Tommy Lee from Motley Crue and that helped finance one of the earliest armored saint recordings. If that's this right, is... tell me how that car ride started, where you were going and then, <laughs> and then the outcome that led to this yeah. Uh, money. Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny because Vince Neil tells uh, his recollection of the story in the dirt, um, which is kind of funny, but um he gets it all wrong. <laughs> okay, that might um, be where I read it. So you set the record straight then. Yeah. So Vince tells it that I was that I was on a back of a motorcycle with Tommy driving the motorcycle, which conjures up this pretty strange image in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, me with my arms around Tommy. You know, like, yeah. Fast, faster, Tommy, faster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I, your your version's better already. <laughs> certainly more colorful no but um i uh a little bit of backstory is that i had known tommy um oh geez what year is this 1981 8081 uh we were in a band together uh this was pre-motley crew uh by six months or so not much not much before that six to eight months before that it was a very short-lived band, and um, I, but I got to know Tommy, and we were we became friends, and um, uh, we, you know, even though the band broke up, we still stayed in touch, and there, you know, there's a little bit of history there too. But so when Armored Saint got together and started the band, um, ultimately, ironically, I'm not the first bass player in Armored Saint. Armored Saint formed while I was in this other band, and. Uh, they had another bass player for about six months. Um, but they were always trying to get me in the band because it was all my bros and they were in another band and I was in a different band and it was like, you should be an armored saint. But um, they took, you know, it took about six months for them to convince me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but once I joined armored saint, um, back to the Tommy part of the story is that, um, you know, we're still friends, Tommy and I. And I said, I told him, Hey, I, I'm in this new band called Armored Saint. And, you know, we're, we play not all like, you know, Judas Priest, Scorpion stuff. And Tommy was like all into that stuff as well. So 
he was like, oh man, I got to come see you guys play. And I said, well, as it turns out, we're playing this gig at the ski lodge called Mount, Mount Baldy Ski Lodge here in San Bernardino Mountains here. Have no idea how we even booked that show or why we did it. Um, it was literally at the top of this giant mountain at a ski lodge. And why we thought anybody would go is beyond me. But so we all go up there and we play the show. Of course, there's no one there, you know, uh, except for a few of our friends and a few of uh, some of those people were Tommy and a few people we knew uh, together, a guitar player from a band called Stormer. It was a big band in Southern California back in the day. And Tommy's sister was there and a few other people. It was literally, I'm not kidding, probably 10 people in the audience. <laughs> so what else is there to do but get really hammered and get through the show? You know, mind you, we're 19 years old at this point. So we brought our own beer and pot and whatever. And we had, a, it was ended up being just a big party. So show ends and then we're getting ready to leave. We're packing up the stuff and Tommy comes over and he says, Hey, um, me and my sister and this other girl are going to go down the hill and go to this party. You should come. I'm like, I have, but I got my gear and they got enough, you know, whatever. And then the guys in the armored saint were like, you know, go, you know, you should do it. It's because it's probably be fun, you know? And, um, so I said, all right. So I got in the car with Tommy driving this other girl's car. Uh, but it was a 280Z hatchback. I don't know if you remember those cars are pretty yeah. small, basically a two seater. Yeah. But so in the back and the, underneath the hatchback is where Tommy and Tommy's sister, Athena and I were, were sitting. And that's all I remember. We left the, to go down the hill and I woke up in the hospital the next day. Wow. So apparently what happened was I probably passed out on the way down the hill or the crash knocked that memory out of my mind. Uh, but we got down to the bottom of the hill and Tommy, I guess, took a, a turn the off ramp a bit too fast, lost control of the car. And we went over the embankment. I guess it was a hairpin turn kind of. And uh, so the car left, left the road and rolled four or five times. And I went through the hatchback. I have lacerations on both of my hands. I almost lost my thumb and uh, had a big gash in my head. So I'm guessing that I was probably bracing myself on the glass. Yeah. Of course, the glass ended up breaking everywhere. But And then I woke up in the hospital the next morning, and um, that's the story I was given. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's how, um, that's how the accident happened. And, you know, obviously, Armored Saint at that point, we were just starting with me. It was like a new kind of a new beginning when I joined the band. We had about, I would say, seven or eight shows booked across that summer. This was May of 1982. We had a bunch of shows booked all through summer till till like September, October. We obviously had to cancel them all because I was I wasn't able to play. Uh. Um, so we didn't do the shows. Meanwhile, you know, I had all these doctor bills from the ER and the hospital. I was in the hospital for like four or five days before they let me go. And um, I didn't have insurance, you know, I was 19. You know? Right, right. So uh, I had to get a lawyer and went after the girl's car, the girl who owned the car. We went after her insurance. Um, she had insurance, luckily. So um, we got a settlement from 
the insurance company to cover my costs of the hospital bill plus an extra, I got an extra something like $5,000 or something like that. And so um, by the time I was healed, we're talking the fall now, probably October-ish, October, November. Um, that's when we uh, first did a show at the Troubadour. We, I did a couple shows when I came back from my injuries, and one of the shows was at the Troubadour, and that was the first time Brian Slagle came to see us. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So Brian was in the audience and uh, came back to see us, and we were all intimidated because he was this, like he had the two Bruce Dickinson wristbands with the gauntlets, with yeah. the studs, and you didn't see that too much in 1982 in LA, it was oh. pretty uncommon. So, <laughs> you know, in walks Brian, he was this big dude. And we're like, Oh my God. And we knew who he was because of the uh, metal massacre and new heavy metal review of his fanzine that he did at that time. And so he came backstage at that show and he said, you know, blown away. I love you guys. You know, right up. I love what you're doing. And um, I'm putting together a second metal massacre as it turns out. And I have, one track, the opening track was supposed to be uh, taken up by Merciful Fate, but they pulled out. Wow. And they couldn't deliver the. They couldn't deliver any uh, studio recording in time. But if you guys can get something recorded like right now, I'll give you that first spot on the record. And we're like, please, you know. <laughs> yeah. So at that moment, it was like, what are we going to do? He introduced us to Bill Matoyer. And never met Bill in our life before that. So we met Bill and said, let's go into the studio. Of course, we didn't have any money. We're just 19-year-old knuckleheads, you know, working day jobs. We have no money. So I had the money from the accident. So I said, well, why don't I front the, the cost of the recording? And then you guys can pay me back later, whatever, which they actually did. Uh, the guys did pay me back eventually a couple of years Wow. later which was really honorable and nice of them sure especially <laughs> at that age yeah i know like yeah. it well and you know it took you're a super nice guy you probably weren't bugging them too much about it no i mean i probably did bug them after a while i was like hey you know i'm tired of buying beer and pot like you guys should be buying beer and pot <laughs> you know like i already i already paid for the demo you know but anyway so it got uh, that money so financed that the recording. So that money that financed the first recording, and that was that from that recording we made it was a five song demo, which later became known as the five song demo. And the one song that we took off of that demo was Lesson Well Learned. We gave that one to Brian, and that appeared on the Metal Massacre 2. And then we started sending out that demo tape to pen pals and tape traders and you know, stuff like that right after that. Yeah. But that's how the money from the accident paid for the demo and how it relates to us uh, meeting Brian Slagle and getting on Metal Massacre. It's all kind of intertwined like that, you know? Yeah. The one and only time I met Brian Slagle was with the two of you guys. And oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Armored Saint was touring with Dio in like 2000 on the Magica tour. And I don't know if Joey, if you remember this, but you guys were parked outside the venue. It was the back room in Austin, Texas. And Jason brought me along. And actually I was sitting on the bus with, with you. And we were talking about Chuck Taylors for some reason, we were both wearing Chuck Taylors and we got into the <laughs> conversation. I always remember that. 
Uh, but Slagle showed up that night and I was like, oh my God, man. I was kind of like you back in whenever that was, because he didn't have the gauntlets on that day. But I mean, I, you know, obviously I know who he is and I was, yeah. like, wow, I can't believe he's here in Austin, Texas. Wait a minute. He didn't have the gauntlets on. <laughs> they must, you know, uh, it must have been casual yeah. Friday. Had to be an imposter. No. <laughs> we have photos. Well, that, yes. he, I think he stopped wearing them like in. By 1984, <laughs> he stopped wearing them. When he, I guess when he realized, like, hey, I'm actually like a record. I actually own a record company. Maybe I should start you can't dressing. Can't really up. do lunch with these things on. Right? Yeah, but I mean, me, to be let me to be fair though, like he, he's always he's always been wearing. He's never stopped wearing metal T-shirts. Like, right. He, yeah. Maybe he doesn't wear the gauntlets, but he still dresses like a fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was wearing a metal T-shirt the night that I met him. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that that's amazing. That uh, out of this car crash basically comes the the start of Armored Saints' recording career. And you mentioned that EP. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and Joe Anthony, the Godfather, used to play that EP on the radio in San Antonio. Yeah, I that remember the Godfather. Yeah, that was my first taste of Armored Saint. He was playing uh, uh, "Take a Turn" and or another false alarm. Yeah. And uh what else first is record. Yeah. March, yeah. The March yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Then, yeah. Then then he came along and did March of the Saint, of course. But I remember the first time I heard you was from that EP that I guess came out of the recording from the car crash. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my introduction. Yeah. We like Metal Massacre came out, I guess it came out in the spring of eighty three, I wanna say, or the like Metal Massacre 2s, it's the, yeah. the the print says 82. Maybe it was the end of 82 then. Yeah, pro it it just cuz the just cuz the jacket says 82, you have to add at least 3 or 4 months after that. Yeah, that's true. Distribution and stuff. So you may be right. Yeah. So yeah, my, and then then 6 months later we uh released the three song EP. It's from the same recordings, the same mm -hmm. demo. Um, I don't know why we didn't re release all five at once. I, I'm not sure why we decided to do that. Um, you're it's milking, like a maxi single. You're, you're yeah. milking that car crash money, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted were, more life out of it. Was Were those early recordings, was the EP getting uh, airplay elsewhere? Because I'm, I'm always, I always have this distorted perception because I was lucky enough to grow up in San Antonio and we had the Godfather spinning underground stuff so i always think you know i'm old enough to know better now but i was grateful that i'm getting a taste of this stuff before the rest of the world is but you as a member of the band are you hearing back from other parts of the country that hey we're getting airplay over here and over here and that ep's building a buzz or did you not really see that until march of the saint uh i don't remember to be honest with you um, hearing that that much um, about it getting played in other states and cities, at least in 1983, I don't remember. Of course, later, you know, when you have your your first record out, it was that was a little different. Yeah. But we knew it was getting played here in LA. We had the KME, pardon me, it was the local radio station, it was KMET, and um, they had a heavy metal hour every i think it started on saturday nights and then it moved to sunday nights or something like that and um that's when we first heard uh false alarm and lesson well learned um 
on the radio here in LA and uh, we were just like, you know, just couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> we yeah. thought we made it like that was it, you know, no more, just we've made it, you know, we're on yeah, you're, a local, a regular local terrestrial radio station. And it's like the biggest radio station in LA and we're on it. It was like, yeah, <laughs> we've made it, you know? <laughs> well, you're all still very young too. So yeah. yeah. Your your uh, according to your experience ladder, you had made it. You didn't know that there was anything bigger than that at the time. Well, we're on the radio. We made it. So, yeah. <laughs> when how did the how did the chrysalis deal come about after after the the Metal Blade EP and stuff? Yeah. So the EP came out in August, I believe, of eighty three, and then shortly thereafter. Um, we, um, I would say probably September, October, it just all happened pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, we got, we started to get, um, courted by, uh, Polygram. Um, there was an A&R guy who had just signed Lita Ford, I believe, and was looking for more bands and caught wind of us and liked what we were doing. He was British and I think he sense the same sensibility from the style of music we were playing and started taking us to dinner and that was all if, you know again we were sort of just like in awe like you know what is happening you know like this executive guy's taking us 19 year old knuckleheads to dinner you know <laughs> what are we doing here you know and ordering two but, of everything you tell, yeah you exactly like gonzo gonzo yeah. get the lobster get the lobster yeah yeah baggy to go please yeah uh, two of them um so we started getting courted by them and um uh the thing was uh, though that he couldn't like uh he was starting to there's this political thing that i guess they have to go through internally to get in order to get uh clearance to actually sign somebody so he we never actually went and met his bosses it was like he was courting us and he was interested and was trying to get people upstairs at polygram interested but it just wasn't happening fast enough i guess um and next thing you know we um, are reintroduced to this guy named Ron Fair. Mm -hmm. Now, back, backtrack a little bit on Ron Fair was that the year prior, when we're, when we're in the studio recording this first uh, demo tape with Bill Matoyer from the accident, um, while we're in the studio at Track Record, one day this guy shows up who works for RCA, and his name is Ron Fair. And so he's an A&R guy. He's also an engineer and he's friends with Bill Matoyer. They, they worked together. Um, I believe maybe he was even a teacher at this recording academy, which Bill Matoyer went to. So they were friends and kind of colleagues in that regard. And Ron just stopped by to see how he was doing. And we were, we were there probably high as a kite idiots. And, uh, he came in and was telling us about what he does, RCA, blah, blah, blah. And then he's thinking about signing this band called Steeler. And so we're like super cocky idiots. And we're just like, fuck that band Steeler. You should be signing Armored Saint, man. And he was just like taken back. Like, how dare you talk to me like that? You know, like, what is with these guys? But he 
kind of smiled and shook and said, okay, you know, whatever. Of course, he went off and signed Steeler. Steeler got, <laughs> oh, no, no, Steeler first got signed to Varney's label, Shrapnel. I think, right? Shrapnel. Uh, yeah. Shrapnel was first, yeah. So I guess he didn't get Steeler. Shrapnel picked him up. That's, that's the last time we ever saw Ron Fair until a year later while this guy from Polygram's taking us out. Next thing you know, Ron Fair contacts us and says, remember me? <laughs> well, now I work at Chrysalis Records. And um, they're looking for a heavy metal band. Um, and he started courting us and started taking us to dinners. But then things started escalating much quicker there. Since he's an engineer, a really good engineer, I might add, um, he got us basically a, a several different demo deals where we would, uh, Chrysalis paid for us to go into the studio. And the uh, first time we went in, we recorded something. I think we recorded like Mutiny on the World and Seducer. And the next time we recorded Can You Deliver and March of the Saint, something like that. We did two different sessions, recorded four songs or so. And then within a couple of weeks, um, I, again, by December, um, we had a record deal. And it, I mean, this is all in the span of like, remember the EP came out in August and by December we had a major label record deal. So it was super fast, really, really fast. We had no idea what we were doing. We had no, no inkling of how the business worked. Didn't really care at that point, to be honest with you. And, um, yeah, it was just super, super, super quick. So that's how the the deal with Chrysalis came to be. And next thing you know, we're getting ready to record in a major studio with a big producer. And yeah, it's pretty nuts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You, um, again, I go back to my roots in San Antonio. And uh, of course, you guys were the opening band on that famous three-night stand at the Cameo Theater with Metallica playing. And uh, I was there, Jason was there, everybody I know that's in the San Antonio area that's if in If you middle. weren't there, fuck you. <laughs> we all we all still wear it. We all still wear it as a badge of honor. But what I've always been curious to know is um, as young guys touring, I don't think that was that three night stand, it couldn't have been planned. So how do you get word that the venue is selling out fast enough that there's demand for a second night and then a third night. And then what does it do to your travel plans when you might've had another gig somewhere else down the road that all of a sudden, how does this all work on you know, all of a sudden? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. I, I don't like, again, uh, we were still so young at this point and I really don't remember how that all worked. I don't remember even, knowing or caring about how stuff like that worked. <laughs> we, we had a, we had a manager and we had a booking agent, we had a record label and it was kind of like those people do their job and we play music and get high and drink party. and yeah. 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 Pretend we're rock stars. Rock yeah. party. The interesting I don't thing. really know. I, I, I almost say that, uh, because the Wasp was on that same tour, but I think by the time we got to Texas, they left the tour. And I'm not sure why that happened, but that's just what happened mm -hmm. because it was always Wasp and Metallica and Armored Saint through the Northeast and the South and the Midwest. But when it came to Texas, Wasp left the tour. And then the West Coast, 
West, you know, Texas, uh, whatever, Arizona, California, Washington, Oregon, though, that was just us in Metallica. Um, so, so, so let me, interrupt, let me interrupt yeah. just for one second. I, I am a wasp fan, but you know what? I don't think Texas, I'll speak for Texas. I don't think too many of us minded that wasp wasn't there. <laughs> I think it's okay that wasp took a, you know, took some time off from the tour. So you guys in Metallica could come crush Texas without them. I don't well, even think I was aware that they were part of the tour. Cause again, that's before the internet and all this stuff. All I know is that the advertisement said Metallica and wasp. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, Metallica and armored saint. And so what you don't know, you don't know. Right. It might've been, yeah. it might've been the, cause I have the, I still have the flyers. I have one yeah. framed somewhere and it has wasp, you know, it says wasp Metallica armored saint and it's the Austin show. Uh, February 21st, 1985 is the date. Wow. That's um, awesome. But the, the thing is, is that might have been the very last poster that had Wasp on it via your story via, uh, from San Antonio, wow. how it's just promoting Metallic Armored Saint. I've, oh, just wow. always, I've always wondered how that worked because now that I'm older and wiser and I understand logistics, you can't just stay in a city for three days because the fans want another show. You've got a tour that's routed and booked and all this stuff. And, yeah. But in those days, you know, you're a bunch of young pirates. You're teamed up with Metallica, who's also a bunch of young pirates. And, you know, uh, and it's probably go for broke or, you know. I, I, mean, I was going to – yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite, it's possible that they did have some foresight knowing that this was, this show was going to do well and maybe it was leading up to it. In other words, when, when the tour was happening prior to that um, in the Midwest and in this, you know, Northeast and whatnot, uh, word maybe got out with that this show was doing great. It was selling out, you know, the attendances were amazing. And so maybe they left the ending part of it where Wasp was leaving the tour. Maybe they left that a little bit open. Yeah. Um, like a few weeks in advance. Um, I mean, of course, nowadays you wouldn't do that. You would, you'd want at least eight weeks to promote a show. But um, maybe back then it was more a little bit like the Wild West. And it was like, let's just go and we'll leave holes open and we'll just fill them, you know. Yeah. And a punk rock. <laughs> Mm, a little yeah. bit and maybe that's how that happened and they maybe had enough foresight to know that probably because of the support that uh you know not just the san antonio had with uh you know uh with the godfather and the the community was really yeah. supportive there but they maybe they figured it was going to be the same in austin and other other cities in texas right. so they said well we think this will do good let's let's keep three days uh, they call holds, uh, like when a booking agency ha puts a hold on a show, you, you just hold the date. You don't announce anything, but you, you have that date reserved. And at some point you need to make a commitment and say, okay, we have to confirm this now because I got two other bands that want the, want right. the date too. Right. So maybe they put the first show, first show on, on a confirm the first show. And then maybe they had two holds just in case it did well. Yeah. Which it obviously did at some point they were like, okay, these, we can do two more because they're going to go, they're going to go. Yeah. And then they they released them. And then I'm guessing it happened like that. Cause that's sort of how it happens nowadays. 
That's the best explanation I've ever heard. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you, I remember, uh, I can still vividly remember hearing the ad on the radio in San Antonio. And it said, Metallica and Armored Saint playing at the Cameo Theater, coming to the Cameo Theater. And I thought to myself, because Metallica's on the Ride the Lightning Tour. And in San Antonio yeah. at that time, they were already huge. I mean, Metallica was big time in San Antonio at that point. And yeah. I'm thinking the Cameo Theater, that's way too small for Metallica yeah, like, in San it's Antonio. Like five, it's like five or six hundred people. And I'm thinking oh, to myself, yeah. what genius booked that venue for this tour? And yeah. sure enough, it sold out. And then they added the two more dates. And you know what? I bet they could have added a fourth. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I yeah. guess it's yeah. what you got to go, right? But if, anyway. you, if you guys would have had like, uh, this is just sort of like, you know, putting a couple of more blocks, you know, Legos on the machine here that you just built that you're like Dave said, your explanation is fits perfectly, but yeah. there could have been holds or there was days off a day off maybe. And then it just turned into this three night legendary triple header that you guys yeah. did that. Thank God that happened. I want to uh, also throw this in. This is uh Kill them all for one tour, Raven and Metallica. Metallica's first tour opening, they came through Austin, Houston, San Antonio, blah, blah, blah. But on the tour, like shirts with the dates on the back, for that block, it's just blocked out. It just says Texas. You know, it says, <laughs> you know, August, blah, blah, blah. The, the Austin date was August 24th. I have the poster right there. Uh, and the ticket stub. Yeah. Uh, so it, but on the t-shirts, it just says Texas and it says, you know, whatever, August 23, 24 and 25, just all in on one line. It just says Texas. It doesn't say any cities or anything. So well, there you go. This sounds like they kind of knew Metallica's agent maybe, or I don't know. It's, yeah. just, it kind of, it's prophetic in a little bit. Yeah. Way. Yeah, I thought I had I, when they had, and at the time when they had the shirts printed up, they probably didn't have confirmation on actual venues yet. Oh, right. So <laughs> I, I, my shirt from that gig, it's the uh, Wild West back then, yeah. it was. And Jason's talking about ticket stubs. My my ticket stub for the Cameo Theater with Metallica and Armored Saint is framed and hanging on the wall right over here. I still uh, have it. But I remember buying a Metallica shirt at that gig. And I was so excited because I knew they did a three night stand and I get home and I turn it over and I'm looking at the tour dates, all European dates. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got screwed. Wow. I got screwed. I should have bought an well, Did they sell it at a discount or, you know, was it like, I don't hey, know. Got, I was young. Off and we're not going to tell you why, but I, I was young. I was young and dumb and it was dark and loud and I didn't care. And I just got a Metallica shirt and I was going back to the front of the stage. And I found out when I got home, it was probably left over from a European leg or it was right. going to be on an upcoming European. Everybody leg. Yeah, wants, yeah. wants your shirt now. <laughs> I still yeah. have it. I really, that's amazing. I, have, I can I hold it up to the light and look right through yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you can see item. right through it and yeah. it doesn't have sleeves on it. That's mine. That's right. Mine's, in the <laughs> Mine's put away. It's closeted right now. But so <laughs> while we're while we're on the subject of Metallica, I wanted I want to ask Joey, and he's probably told this story a million times, but uh, I want to hear it straight from him. There was a point when uh, you were 
asked to join Metallica. I think asked is the right word. Or you were being considered for Metallica. There was some interest between Metallica was interested in you. Let's say it like that. And it was after the Master of Puppets tour. You were you were being considered to possibly take Cliff Burton's place. And so the story, we all know the story that John Bush was asked to join Metallica at a very young age. And at the time, uh, Armored Saint had every bit as strong a foothold on the metal scene in California as Metallica. There was no reason for John Bush to think that that band was any better than his band. And he's sticking with his bros and he stayed with it. And he has no regrets. And I applaud that. But here's where my question is. For you, all these years later, Metallica is now the biggest metal band in the world. How difficult was it for you to say no to that gig? Well, to be clear, it was as you it was your you were right in saying when it, it was being considered for that. Um, it was they never came to me and asked me to join. Okay. The, what was happening at the time was they were obviously going through a mourning period, where it was obviously must have been a terrible time in their in their whole history. Right. Um, and but they were trying to forge forward and 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 continue being a working band. So they were they started out by literally doing a cattle call of bass players, and it, it just must was awful for them. This the ton hordes of people were coming up and trying to audition, and they were just like, "Oh my god, we just can't do this anymore. We need to reach out to people that we know and are friends with." or have some association with and bring, see if they, we can get them to come and audition. At least they would know that, um, you know, that uh, it would just be, it, you know, psychologically it was just such a better thing for them to go about that way. So it was during that period, I, I was one of several people that they were considering for that. So Lars called me one day and I know Lars because we toured with him and had a friendship. Uh, and he basically told me what I'm telling you now. Um, so he said, you know, no promises, no nothing. We don't even know if this is going to work, but we want you to come up and let's see if it'll work. Uh, just come up for a few days and hang out and jam. So I, um, that's the decision. That was the decision I had to think about. I said, well, let me think about it. I'll, we'll talk tomorrow. So, um, that's what I did. And overnight, that's what I had to consider was, you know, is this something I really want at this moment in my life? Am I ready for this change? And am I ready to bail on Armored Saint? Uh, at the time when I got this phone call, we were in between recording sessions making Raising Fear. So we had done six or seven songs already for Raising Fear and we were taking a break and we were about to go in and do another uh, five or six songs for Raising Fear. And it was during this time when I get this call. So, I mean, I'm sort of like, I mean, talk about a quagmire, you know? <laughs> I'm like, what, what am I, what do I do? You know, is this, where is my heart telling me that I really want to do? And my heart ultimately told me that I had unfinished business with, with Armored Saint. Yeah. Um, I'm a, a main co-writer. I'm a, a, you know, a founding member and I have such a long history. Bye. Have fun. My daughter's leaving. I just had to say goodbye. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Um, and, uh, 
you know, that was the decision I had to make. Is this, am I ready to give this all up? Uh, and, and a lot of it, I knew that a lot of it was uh, creativity as well, because I knew the way that those guys worked. I knew how the machine of the Metallica machine worked. It was all about Lars and Jane. Yeah. Um, and, and Cliff was a big part of that, actually. He was the third, this third uh, creative force, as everybody must know by now. Yeah. Um, and he, after he left, it was it's just James and Lars. So I knew that creatively, I I would be giving a lot up, and and also I would be giving up what I had kind of signed up for with my bros from grade school and just the friendship we had and all the work we did with Armored Saint up until that point. We're on our third major label record, um, and it was like it was a I wasn't at a place where I was ready to make any kind of a change like that. You know, it wasn't. You know, this is the days back when you were in one band and one band only. Like, you know, nowadays it's different. Now, you know, I'm in like 15 bands now, you know. <laughs> everybody else is too. Like everybody's like, you know, I, you know, I do whatever I can to make ends meet. And that's, it's a whole different mindset nowadays. Right. And, and it's fine. I'm not saying one's better than the other. They're both noble outlooks in life. And they're, they're all, it's all good. But for me at that point, um, I just, it just didn't feel a hundred percent right. You know, not a hundred percent. I knew, yeah, I'd be making, I'd probably have the opportunity to make more money. And that was, it was obvious, you know, um, at that point. Um, and you know, it just came down to that. And I just said, you know, if I'm not a hundred percent and I called Lars the next day and I said, I said, these things, this, what I'm telling you now is what I said to him. I said, I, I might be wasting your time and I might be wasting my time. And if I have any doubts about doing that, I don't want to do that to you. You know, that's fucked up. You know, I would, that, I, why, why would I do that? You know, you, you guys are my friends and I want the best for you. I don't, maybe I didn't feel like I was the right guy yeah. for them at that point. Um, yeah. So that was a tough thing just because, for those reasons I sort of laid out, you know, I'm yeah. not saying it was easy, um, but, you know, you know, in, in hindsight, uh, it, things become much clearer, you know, and, uh, you know, my life has been like, I, I have no regrets for any decisions I've made in my life, mistakes included. I'm not saying that was a mistake, but uh, because I have a killer life, my life has been amazing. I have a great life, a great family, you know, these experiences that I've had throughout the nineties and two thousands, I would never change one of them for the world, you know? And so if you, it's funny, people ask you, you know, what would you do if you could go back in time and you, you know, you change your, your, you change that crossroads, you know? And I can never answer that question. You know, I'm like, I, I, I would hate to live that way. Wondering what would life be like if I went that way, you know? I would, I would, I wouldn't have a daughter, you know, I wouldn't have my wife. I wouldn't have any of the experiences I've had. I wouldn't have friends like you guys. I wouldn't be doing this here now. I wouldn't be in this house I live in and have this really comfortable life I've had. I consider myself one of the luckiest people in the world. I'm really grateful for everything I have. So, you know, I don't have any regrets for anything that I've done, that included. I love that. 
I, I, I love, love I love it all. I love yeah. everything you said. It's very yeah. special. I think a lot of people, you made a very valid point and obvious. It's a, it's an obvious point for you, uh, but I don't think it's an obvious point for people on the outside. And maybe it is if they dig a little deeper, but I think everybody just gets shell shocked by the idea of, oh my God, it's Metallica. How do you not join Metallica? But you made a very valid point. You are going to give up a great deal of your musical creativity and your vision to join an existing team that's very strong and and has its own that. vision okay and 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 hierarchy of power and that sort of thing um and that's a very very huge thing to give up if you're a creative person so you could have yes you could have joined metallica but you would have been a hollow shell of a dude and well you know i i know it could have you could have been and i maybe i would have been really comfortable in that world too it's it's yeah. it's hard to say one way or the other you know what it could have gone different ways um i mean you you start you open this pandora's box and you could stay say what if about a lot of things too sure you could say yeah, this is at a point when master of puppets was just starting to blow up but i don't think it, they had just maybe they had just signed to electra but it was already out on music for nations first mm-hmm. uh or sorry uh, megaforce mm-hmm. um and uh, it was during that transition period when I think the accident happened. But um, you they know, were touring, they were touring Master of Puppets when the accident happened. So yeah, so we Puppets like, was already we, out. We as a we as a collective, you know, knowledgeable people, we had no foresight to know that the that uh, the Black Album was right around the corner, or that you know what that future would have brought them. Like right. that was that was really the explode the real exploding part, you know. None of us could foresee that. Sure, it was going in a it was in a going in a direction where these guys could be as big as you know, uh, you know, Iron Maiden or you know, sure, yeah. you know, whatever you know, you, you insert band big band I, name. I, you I know, use Le- I use Led Zeppelin. Uh, it's yeah. like yeah. the Beatles. I mean, you could you could see that you could see that it was going in a direction, but it, there was. You know, there's no guarantees in life. You don't know that, you know, this is a for sure thing that's going to happen. And right. you know, I'm not saying that 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 would have swayed my decision had I if I had some crystal ball. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, I would still have. Here's, to- here's something interesting, though, if you think about it, and, and I hadn't never thought about this until you just said what you said. Now you take the guy that did get that job, and it's Jason Newstead, and he was a leader in Flotsam and Jetsam, as far as I know. And he, so he did suffer the, uh, which ultimately left to him leaving the band and, and, and he was not very happy about, you know, he was not in a happy place when he left the band. Let's say it like that. And I don't know personally, but, but there's an example of someone who did take that offer and did give up the creativity that he probably had in his own, uh, in his own band and went and, you know, lived on the big stages and did all the big tours for a number of years. And he did a great job. He gave it a thousand percent. He did a fantastic job. He was, he was perfect. He was the, it was perfect for that role at that time. But when you, but in, in hindsight, when he wrote all the songs and flotsam though. So he had to, 
take a back seat. Well, is yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's I, what I'm I, saying. Think, I think that's the point you're getting at yeah, is that exactly. maybe eventually it started to eat at him. I, I'm not saying because I don't, I've right. never had this conversation with Jason about yeah. this, but um, it potentially it started to eat at him over the course of time and ultimately led him to feeling, you know, dissatisfied with yeah. that role and wanting more and not being able to uh, show more. Uh, and uh, that led him to changing his course, you know, yeah. which, you know, yeah. Uh, kudos to him, like for following his heart, you know, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Which He's is a exactly, super creative guy. Which is exactly what you did back in the day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I did. You know, I followed my heart, you know, and yeah. I, you can't, uh, you can't look back on, any decision that's made from that so perspective. And I want to, I want to jump in and, and while we're kind of got some Metallica going here and we're, we have so many things to talk about and we don't want to keep you till midnight. Um, <laughs> it's all right. the, uh, the, uh, the interesting question that I have, and this is basically just as a, as a fan of, of what I call the lore like there's the lore of the Bay area. There's the lore of, of the LA scene with with all you guys you could just pick up first two or three metal massacre records and just look at all the bands and go oh man i wonder what it was like and it's like this <laughs> this is my question is like did like you know ron mcgovney and james hetfield come to y'all's rehearsals and did you guys go to each other's gigs when you're like 17 and 18 years old was that like a thing was the metal scene that close uh, like not, with, not, not with those guys because okay. they they moved up to the Bay Area um, before we got okay. tight with them. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, and they they were from originally from Orange County, which is we're from the San Gabriel Valley, and they're from Orange County, which is oh, about an hour hour or so away. It doesn't sound like a lot, like when you live in like Massachusetts or something. But when you're in LA, like I'm not driving an hour to go no. anywhere, you know. Yeah. No, right. <laughs> yeah. So but, we were kind of from two different kind of two different parts of the state, if you will. Sure. Were but, you guys um, hearing about the these new kids called Metallica in your area, like prior to them when they were in LA band? Uh, I don't think we really heard of them until they After had the recorded their, yeah, until they were, did the No Life to Leather demo and uh, and then the first Metal Massacre recording. Okay. And at that time, again, this is, we're talking of increments of eight months though here. So it's really like eight months prior to Armored Saint, let's say. Right, um, okay. And so we... It wasn't like we would see them out at the clubs because if we were ever going anywhere, it would be the Hollywood clubs. And those guys never frequented those no, places, no. you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, so it wasn't like we crossed paths at that point. It wasn't until, um, you know, uh, Metal Massacre 1 was already out and maybe even uh, Kill Em All was already out. Um, wow, when okay. Yeah, so we didn't get to know them until uh, until later than that. We, I think, you know, we knew each other, but it wasn't like we hung out and got to. They yeah. didn't come to our rehearsals, and we didn't okay, go to their yeah. rehearsals. Okay. It wasn't like that, that at that's, all. That set so me straight. We were 
that's ironic because we were both at the show. I, I think this is true. We both went, uh, we didn't know each other closely, but we were both at the same show when they first saw Cliff Burton and his first band, Trauma. Right. They played the Troubadour, and we went to see, I'm not even sure why we were there. I don't think we were there to see Trauma, but we were there to see another band. And Trauma happened to be down from the Bay Area playing at the Troubadour, and Cliff was in the band. Right. And um, I, I found that, this out much later. I didn't know, but Lars and James were also at that show, and that's when they said, holy crap, look at that guy. Um, and we were all kind of like that because he, he was a force of nature, even in that band, Trauma. Yeah. He was just, he had the wah-wah then and the Rickenbacker and the hair and the de- jean jacket. I mean, it was Cliff Burton. But he just never didn't. changed. He, he never changed. He never changed, so, no matter what. Yeah, so we, we were at that show too. We're like, wow, that, that bass player is pretty cool. And uh, I guess from there, that's when their history took off. And yeah, yeah I wanna, and I shortly wanna... after that is when they moved. That They moved yeah. up there because Cliff said, oh, I'd be interested in your band, but I don't want to be in L.A. So if you guys want to come up here, we can have a go at it. And they said, all right, we're gone. <laughs> that's how bad they wanted him. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, your, your history with Armored Saint is thick. 12 records in a 40 year career with your third grade buddies. <laughs> and <laughs> I get tickled. Who when can I say that? Who can... I, I get tickled when I say that. <laughs> he, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like true. a whole, it's like a Hallmark movie of the week or something, you know? Wow. It is. <laughs> too, too much. And but, the brothers. Uh, yeah, it's really it, it is a really uh, um, amazing and and the love uh, that you guys have, uh, and there's a reason why you guys know how to follow your heart. Um, so let's talk about fate's warning, merciful fate, Odor sister. Uh, it's your solo record, your studio stuff, uh, producing other bands. When did you, let's just talk about merciful fate. I wore the shirt. Let's talk about merciful fate. When, when did that, when did it come on your radar? I mean, obviously with, with the struggles with the, the, the loss of, of Timmy, of Timmy Hansen, Timmy Grabber, the, did your, were you, was Tracy on the phone before Brian, you know, did King Diamond call Brian, you know, tell, give us a little bit insight on how they sort of like pined for you. I think what happened um, was, um, and I actually just learned this this summer wow. uh, because I, I'll, I'll start with uh, where it the where the invitation first came in. I was on tour with Face Warning in 17 or 18 mm-hmm. i forget it might be 18 and we, we're going through and playing and we play uh dallas and i think i might have uh, been on the bill you might have been i forget where we played i think we were Trees? supporting we might have been supporting queens i think oh, okay that's a that's a so, different year so that's a it year was a diff- okay so we're supporting Queensryche and I forget, might have been, is there a house of blues there? Maybe. Uh, or, there's, uh, one in, there's one in, yes, there is. Yes, there is. In, in Dallas. It might've been the house of blues there. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, Bryce Legal uh, calls me up a couple days before. Says I'm coming to the show. I'm bringing King Diamond with me. Um, he has uh, something he wants to talk to you about. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> ominous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they, we play the show. After the show, we're in the dressing room, and Slagel comes back, and he brings King. And, and I've known King for a, a while, uh, sort of a, a you know, uh, not real close with him, but I've seen him in passing. Armored Saint toured with King Diamond in 1989, so we have some history of knowing each other. So we, you know, how's it going? We you know chit chat, small talk, and then he pulls me aside and. He starts telling me about what's going at the time. Timmy's still with us, and he's tells me that what's going on with Timmy. That he's uh, he's got cancer, and he's going through chemotherapy, and he's he's okay. He's not in the hospital, but he's weak. You know, he's not sure that he can tour. And we have this tour booked for the summer of twenty. I think that's what it was. Uh, and we want to do the tour, but we're not sure a hundred percent if when, when it gets up to the point where we're getting ready to leave, Timmy might have to make a decision. Like, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fit for this and I might want to sit the tour out. So if he decides to do that, we need a replacement to do the tour. He asked me if I would consider doing that, filling in for Timmy while he recuperates, uh, and stays home. Uh, so this is 2020. You can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm completely blown away. I'm totally honored. You know, of course. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll do it. I, at the time my schedule was open, I had nothing going on. I said, I'd love to, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's merciful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so that's it. We then yeah. we ended that conversation. Uh, time went on, then COVID hit. Right, right. So then it's like, whoa! What? The, the, not just their world, but the entire world goes up and upside down. You know, so everything gets canceled. Everything in twenty done. It got so that tour. I was told Merciful Fate tour was moved to twenty one. I said, okay, well. It looks like I'm still open because the world's all shut down. Uh, so I'll do it in 21. So then 20, as, as, uh, as 2020 is going, uh, Timmy dies. I think he died in the fall. I can't remember the exact time. Uh, totally. I didn't know that he was that sick. I, in my mind, I, I was like, I'll be there if he's just not strong enough to do the tour. Like I had no idea that he was going to, that he was so sick that he was going to lose his life. And unfortunately, that's the way it went. It was really, really sad. That's terrible. And, uh, that's terrible. Yeah, it was awful. I mean, I, I almost was like, I kind of like put it out of my mind, like in a way, because I was like, ah, you know, he'll either pull through or, you know, something will work out and I won't need be needed to do it, you know. But then he passed away and I was like, oh, no, you know. Oh, no, this is terrible, you know. And I, so... King called me and told me the news and then obviously he had to, you know, okay, well now, now you, now you have to do it. Basically he said, you know, in, in so many words. And I said, well, okay, now, and now it's like my mission, you know? Yeah. So I had to make it my mission to fill in and fill his shoes and try to fill his shoes and honor his playing and honor his presence and all that stuff. It was this whole 
for me, it was this whole thing. You know, I didn't take it lightly at all. And then 21 came and then the Omicron came. So then that got canceled. So I'm like, is this thing ever going to happen? Like, right. this is crazy. This is crazy. But that's how, that's how I got into merciful fate. And, um, you know, uh, I didn't, hadn't met anybody. I mean, I had met, uh, Hank years and years and years ago, but we didn't really know each other. And I didn't know Mike Weed yet or Bjorn Holm. I didn't know him. And I never really got to know King until this year either. So, um, we got together in May of this year for the, like a week of pre-production and rehearsals and stuff before the tour started in Europe. And it was a crash course in like, you know, here you go. You're in this, you're in this band with these other guys and you're working together and it's this whole machinery. And I'm pretty good at this point in my life, having been in a lot of different situations with different bands and different projects and stuff. I'm pretty good at, um, figuring out what my role is and when to keep my mouth shut and when to open it. So I kind of slid in pretty easy with them and we became really, really fast friends. Um, and it was pretty unusual, but, um, those guys are all great. They're all four of those guys are all three of those guys are just amazing. And, uh, we became really quick friends. And before I knew it, they were like, you're the guy, like, we want you to be in the band. We want you to record on the next record and do more touring. And I was like, Holy crap. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm honored and I, and I happen to love the band aesthetically. You know, I love the music and, and the theatrics of it. You know, I like everything about it. Um, so for me, it's a win-win situation and, um, and I can do it with integrity. And I, you know, I grew up listening to the first three records. It was a big part of my fabric from 1981 until, you know. I, I was going to say, know. I was going to say, I mean, you're learning the songs that were your high school mixtape, you know. I mean, not high school, but well, like. You, you know what I mean. Short, yeah, that period when we were talking earlier about, yeah. you know, Armored Saints starting out in 1981 and, and 82 and then. I started, uh, once I was, uh, once the Armored Saint five song, uh, demo tape was, was on a cassette form. I began tape trading with people that I would meet through the, the back pages of Kerrang or whatnot. And so I started tape trading, sending out Armored Saint, uh, demos to just whoever, like, that's what we did. Like right? you guys remember that, like, that's how it worked back then. And so one of the first cassettes I got back from one of my pen pals that I had made in Belgium was the Merciful Fate Nuns Have No Fun EP. And so I was like, what's this? What is this band? You know, like, oh, my God, like this stuff's insane. <laughs> you know, like, like King's voice and the music. And it's like super, like almost kind of proggy and yeah. heavy and like dark. Yeah. One song and has I, like one song has like eight riffs in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, who are these guys? You know, but I love that cassette and I played the crap out of it, you know? So, you know, like fast forward, like 40 years and, and like, I'm learning these songs and I'm, I'm on stage and like, you know, in Barcelona and I look over and there's King Diamond. He's on, he's next to me and there's Hank Sherman. It's like, what the hell? It was such a mind fuck, you know, uh, but in a good way. 
<laughs> well, I I love all the you know vicariously being there just via YouTube. You know the digital yeah. world that we're in now. It's like you can watch the whole show the next day. Yeah, pro yeah. shot and with like a, a decent mix and everything. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, to just it is crazy. Like, yeah, and to just like see you smiling on yeah. stage <laughs> next to King Diamond was was yeah. That's that's. that's <laughs> I remember when I first joined when I first started doing these dates uh, in the summer of this year with merciful fate. Cause you know, I've had some friends and, and people, uh, come to me and say, you know, what do you, you know, what are you going to be like on stage? Like, what's your, you know, what's your onstage vibe going to be? Cause you're always so smiling and, you know, you move your head around in a funny way. You know, the people are, they're, they're discussing or they're making comments on, on my persona on stage and how I, how I, you know, reacts to the music, you know, and with Armin Sane and Faith Warning or whatnot. And I'm, I'm someone who smiles on stage and I like, I have a good time, but they're like, you can't do that in Merciful Fate. Like you can't go out there and smile. And I'm like, why not? Why not? I'm having, it's fun. It's so it's fun. You know, I mean, sure. The music's heavy and aggressive and dark and there's times and places, but like, I, I'm having fun up here. Like, of course I'm going to smile. <laughs> well, the, uh, people people are forgetting that how happy the audience is. Oh yeah, and that's they're why I'm smiling because smi- they're, they're all, all they're yeah. all yeah exactly. That's why I'm smiling because they're smiling. So that's right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> best just the best. There's well, yeah. you're just uh, you're just being Joey. So just, yeah, just, just keep me. just be Joey all the time, please. Yeah, that's that's all I that's all I do. So the 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 Arch Matthews thing, and then was that prior to Fates or was it after Fates? That was afterwards. Um, okay. I first got together with Fates in um, in '96 for A Pleasant Shade of Gray. Um, right. That was my first record with them, and I had um, I had uh, been friends with those guys forever, like since '80 five or something wow. when we first toured with waspa metallica that's when i first met all those guys in the band and i became real, real close friends with jim uh straight away and we've always stayed in touch and just you know always had a connection and stuff um and i got to play with them in 89 on the no exit tour um joe dibiase's uh i think his mother got really ill and I think she may even passed away and he had to leave the tour or maybe she was going into the hospital. But, um, anyway, he had to leave the tour for like four days or so and, and they didn't want to cancel shows. And so Jim called me and he says, dude, this might happen like next week. Do you think you can do it? And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, get me posted. You know, we're like, we're not sure if he's going to go home, but if, in case he does, can you come out here and finish? this these tour this dates it was uh, finishing a tour it was ending in the northeast and i said oh, yeah would well, you know i'd love to love you guys you know so i didn't really learn the set i was like eh, it's not gonna happen you know and then of course i get a call like on thursday it says can you be here on saturday and i'm like oh shit <laughs> and is they're this, doing like is this where i say it sounds familiar dude it's like I, I should learn by now like you know, I should take things more seriously, I guess. 
<laughs> but uh yeah they were doing the whole like uh aggregated deep dreams as well like that whole side they were doing that in its entirety and mm-hmm. and i'm like holy crap so i learned as much as i could i had these total archaic cheat sheets and stuff and i took a plane out there and i sat and i got there in the morning on that saturday and i didn't know i didn't have anything memorized like none of it and i said i'm gonna wing this and i had the cheat sheets and i sat in the back of the bus with jim for probably a good six hours before showtime and then all right just went out and did the first show and i got through it with you know wasn't perfect but i got through the show i even got through like three songs of the ivory gate uh, part but my goal was to play the whole thing man because they were doing the whole ivory gates and i'm like i'm not going to come out here and let you guys down so uh by the third show i did the whole set plus the whole ivory gated dreams um and uh, that was a good time. I became really close with those guys at that time. It was the first time I got to spend a lot of time with them and became really good friends with Ray, who's become one of my lifelong best friends. Wow. Ray. Yeah. A, a and, Texan. Uh, fr- oh, no, a fellow Texan, San Antonio. Yeah. And uh, uh, and Frank Arresti. Just everybody. They were, they were great, you know. And so uh, when they were writing, getting ready to record Pleasant Shade of Grey around 96, um, some of the guys in the band decided they wanted to change the pace. Joe being one, Joe DiBiase, the bass player, and Frank Arresti being the other one. So they didn't really want to uh, record another record with bass. So Jim decided to do it as a single guitar player. And then he asked me if I would like to come and play bass. And I said, I'd be honored. You know, At that point, Armored Tape had broken up. Uh, John was in Anthrax at this point, And I was playing in cover bands at home at that moment. So I said, yeah, it'd be great. You know? And then once I started to hear the music and the demos, I was all in. Um, Cause I, I also, I'm a big fan of, you know, seventies prog rock, you know, Jethro Tull, yes, Genesis, you know, stuff like that. So it was a chance for me to like play way differently than I had been playing the last whatever. 15, 20 years prior to that, whatever. Um, and it was a huge learning learning curve for me playing with Mark Zonder and playing an odd time signature is not something I'd ever done. And, you know, just working with Jim all these years, uh, he's made me um, such a better musician all around, not just a better bass player. That, that did come with it because the challenges just were, went like through the roof and uh, it taught me a lot about so many things about being a bass player in a band with so much going on musically and when not to play, when to play. Um, but also it taught me a lot about theory and stuff. You know, I got to exercise those things that I'd never had done before. So I always uh, want to thank Jim every time I talk about this because he's he really has made me a way better musician than I would have been had not had any experience with, with uh, Fate's Warning, you know. Yeah, he's, um, an, he's and, an underrated player. Yeah, and, and he's, he really is. Uh, his playing is amazing on this new Kings of Mercia record that he did with Simon Phillips, which Whoa. is another mindfuck with me. I saw but, some um, uh, footage or I saw <laughs> yeah, some dude. footage or, or you, dude. like, 
some postings that you put out is like, you know, it's like, it's almost like you can see it now. It's like a picture of you, like holding your phone face in your face. And in the background, yeah. Simon, you're like making the oh shit face. Like, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it's like, and, that, and again, it's like, I'm so lucky, you know, like these things, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's so awesome, you know, but anyway, getting, <laughs> getting back to Jim, you know, like yeah. the, his playing on this record is really great. Cause he's, he's taken on all the lead guitar parts and he's, he's the only guitar player. And it's, it's real kind of like almost straight ahead, hard rock metal. And it's not something he's really done really before. And uh, of course it's got Simon on drums and I got to play bass on, on um, a lot of it. And it's like really, really good. Just is, is, such it out? A, he, is it it's out? out? Yeah. It just came out um, in November, I want to say. So it's Kings of Mercia on Metal Blade. Awesome. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's and it's great. And so, you know, Jim has been really generous and brought me into a lot of different things. You know, he brought me into two OSI records that he did with Kevin Moore from uh, Dream Theater. Mm -hmm. And I play on two of those records. And wow. um, he brought me into both Arch Matheos uh, records. The first one was uh, like an EP and the second one was a record with a bunch of different bass players. Uh, Steve DiGiorgio plays on it. Um, I'm on it. Sean Malone plays on a few tracks from Cynic. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that was a whole other thing too. Like that music's even more challenging than a lot of the fake stuff at times, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I, it, I've had a story. You know, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, I could look at it like a storied career with, my work with Jim, you know, definitely yeah, really I, cool things with him. I feel like your your story is kind of like almost documentary or or book ready. That's not a request or anything, but it's kind of like <laughs> your 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 list of name dropping experience, kind of you know, blah. Uh, would would read. I, hate, I hope I don't sound like that. I hate. No, doing no, no, that, no, but... no, 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 no. But but I'm just using yeah. those like terrible versions of what I'm what what something yeah, like yeah. that kind of is you know yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're saying all these names that are completely respectable names that you have been so blessed to be able to work with I'm just saying to read that in like one breath would be like holy shit Joey has won yeah. lottery well, you know, the, the, the idea of underrated bass players has come up a couple times today in this uh, conversation. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> well, Joey is, you know, I mean, this guy's phone is ringing and it's King Diamond, Lizzie Borden, Fate's Warning, you know, Armored Saint, of course. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's there's a reason for that. So you, my friend, are uh, also an underrated bass player um well, with the resume know, I, to show I'm, for it i'm just i'm just like i said a while back that i'm just super lucky like falling into circles that have afforded me the opportunity to be with so many great musicians and situations and you know you yeah. know it, it, in so many levels you know i mean your host here and i shared the stage recently you know and i know i'm, on, I'm honored to be to add that to my list of things, you know, 
So uh, Jason McMaster was, <laughs> you know, was in my band for a week. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so tell awesome. Us, so, uh, you know, well, we, we can't let I don't even know what to say. We, I mean, come on. I, I, my, it's, it's like I said, it's I'm so lucky. And I again, like, you know, it, it's these things that I would have to trade had I made some other decision back in my life, like yeah. 30 years ago. And I, I'm not going to trade any of this for anything, you know. There you go. Yeah, I was going to ask, and, and, you know, we've had this discussion numerous times on the show uh, because, you know, we were all blown away that Jason had the chance to go out and sing with you. Not um, as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> at, at what point, Joey, at what point does Jason's name enter the mix as a possible fill-in for John Bush on that recent tour? And what are your th- what are your thoughts when you like, come like up? Like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Was it wow. that cool? Really? I don't know how. Yeah, to yeah, act. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, look, I mean, part of it is that like, um, there's there's a lot of reasons for that, and mostly the, the biggest reason is is our friendship. You know, Jason's been a friend of the bands for a very long time, and um, Jason has shared the stage with us. Um, on numerous occasions coming up to sing Madhouse or March of the Saint or Can He Deliver yeah. whenever we go through Austin or something like that, you know? I saw and it. so we have a history of that anyway, you know? And so on this current tour we were on with Wasp, we had just seen each other, right? right. Uh, in San in Austin or San Antonio, San Antonio, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you came to the San Antonio show. Yeah. And, uh, it was raining, raining hard that night, right? It was crazy yes. weather at that time. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we, you know, again, it was seeing old friends, you know, and it's one of the joys of being on tour, especially after the pandemic, like not being able to see people that you love and stuff. And it's like, we got to rekindle our friendship and how you doing. And it was just a good hang and everything. So that was still fresh in our minds and everything, you know, it's just Jason's a great guy and whatever. I mean, it's just, you're your friend, you know, and, uh, you know, John got sick and it was like, uh Oh, and how sick is he going to get? And can he get through to the weekend? You know, can he make it to the last show kind of a thing? And then at one point, um, we, we hadn't discussed anything yet. I mean, it's a little bit like you kind of got to stick your head in the sand. Cause it's like, John, you're going to get through this. You're going to be fine. You know, you can't, you don't even want to like go there. Cause then once you go there, then you, you've given up <laughs> and then, and things are going to fall the way that, that you feared. So we kind of just, everybody sticks their head in the sand. And then, but then after the show we played, I'm going to say it was, it was a Pennsylvania show. Maybe Philly? was it Philly? It might've been the Philly show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt I could hear John. We I'm on in your monitors, and we're all we all are mostly. And I could hear that he was struggling in places, but he sounded like his voice didn't sound hoarse, or it didn't sound like he was losing his voice. It didn't sound like he was singing out of tune. He sounded a little bit weak with some things, but I thought, oh, he's he's actually he's going to be okay. He's, he sounds okay. But we come off stage, and he. Uh, he comes, he, we had, there were different like rooms, like different, we had one of these venues where there's like a bunch of different rooms, not like we each get our own dressing room. Trust me. It's not, <laughs> that's not how we roll, <laughs> but that particular night we kind of did. So he came out of his room and he points at me and he goes, and I'm oh, like, shit. I'm like, fuck. he goes in, he goes, 
you got to think about bringing somebody in. You you got to do it. You got to think about somebody. Bring in. I can't, I can't do this. I'm like, so, oh shit. Like, dude, do we really? Wow. And I'm trying to like, I'm like trying to talk him off the ledge. Like, don't get, you know, don't be hasty. You know, let's, let's take, think this through. He's like, no, you got it. You got it. You need a plan B. Not you, but you, you have to think about a plan B for us. I'm like, okay. I left the room and I'm like, I need to get Jason's number from somebody because I don't think I have it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, it was immediate, you know. Uh, and so that was the first thought. And I had to do it because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, John and I know, and we're the same wavelength. And like I said, we just saw you, Jason, and it was like, it's, it was a no brainer, you know. That, that part of it was a no brainer. But then, like, oh my God, like, how am I going to dump this on Jason, like, now? Because it was like, there was like a 24 hour period that we had a day off and then there was another show. And I'm like, how do I get up the balls or the, you know, to call you and say, hey, dude, like, hey, bro, like, how about you? <laughs> We're kind of in a predicament here. And how about you throw us a, you know can you help us out you know <laughs> like it's like some notice would have been cool but like you know we didn't have that luxury so yeah. it's either we cancel a bunch of shows and then and then try to fly you out at that point but it was like i just gotta go for broke and see if and and my god he jason was like i'll, I'll do it i'll I call. I think I called you that night, Jason. It was about that same show that night. Yeah, I think that I I was so like, what the hell am I doing here? I want John Bush is the singer for Armored Saint. What the hell am I doing here? Kind of, and so yeah. with like a uh, enough, you know, questioning in between my freak out. I think I figured out that it was about two hours after you guys had finished your set that night that we were on the phone together. It was two hours, and, uh, two hours. And then not only that, but once we were on the phone and discussing it, uh, after we hung up, after you said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do this. 30 minutes later, I had you a plane ticket for the following day at like four in the afternoon or something right. to yeah. fly to, to Baltimore, I think. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you, so like you had like, you know, you probably didn't sleep that night because you. When no. are you going to go over the set? Like, when are you going to make your lyric sheets and your? Well, then you were driving to the airport and yeah. your earbuds and like, oh, oh my god! And then oh. he had a show the day he showed up. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's. I mean, so it shows you the professionalism that Jason McMaster, uh, you know, lives and eats and breathes, and I can see why Accept called him. For the same reason, a couple of months earlier, yeah. um, three and weeks, I, three weeks, weeks earlier. earlier. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So, like, you poor guy, you're probably like, people, can you, you know, can you give me a heads up, like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, Jason, you know, it was it was an honor to have him uh, just to even attempt to do this, you know, and let alone kill it, but even just the balls it took for him to come out and get on stage in front of sold out crowds. And um, it took a lot of balls to do that, Jason. So 
I've told you this already, but you know, we, we couldn't thank you enough for taking the cheese and doing it and total pro you killed it. Stage presence, singing, everything. The crowd appreciated it and loved it. And it just was a great thing. And it was great spending time with him too for that week, you know? Yeah. I yeah, thought you so. guys were going to get tired of me and my bad jokes and silly <laughs> fanboy shit. And tell me that story again, uncle, Joey. you know, that kind of silly shit. And I, 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 oh, hey, Dave, I, I made, I made Joey listen to my country songs. Oh yeah. It was, I was blown away. Oh yeah. We, we yeah. all were. Yeah. yeah. We were all in the dressing room then that night. And uh, I think that was Long Island. And, I think uh, you're right. Yeah. That was killer. That was I'm, And I'm sorry I didn't get to say proper goodbye to you that no, night. That I was, was the last that was the night you left. Um, yeah, I was kind of a I was kind of a mess though when I left. I was on the bus with Gonzo and Philip and John crying like a baby. So yeah. uh <laughs> you know I mean because uh, you know I, I love you guys. Yeah, I, and we I'm, love you, man. I'm a fan, I mean, so it was just it was just weird. I mean, under the circumstances, and and I'll step away and also just say accept, you know, the accept and the Armored Saint thing that lightning does strike twice in the same place. Yeah. Uh, and it was just very, very weird. And I've said this before. I don't want to go see my favorite band and see some chump up there singing. So <laughs> it was hard to, to do. That was be that hard. guy. That yeah. was the hardest part for me in both of those yeah. camps was to yeah was to be, oh yeah be the chump yeah yeah wow. the lead singer role is it's much harder to to fill than you know if it was the bass player or the drummer or the guitar player or yeah. something you know people are a little more accepting of that but when you have the voice you know like yeah people want to hear that voice of whoever yeah. band you're seeing you know so that's why I say man it took a lot of balls to do that and. You know, I think that what we did, the, what John did was also classy and him, he would come out and introduce you to the audience and he would explain why he's not singing. And I think that that went a really long way with people in helping them just say, okay, you know what, this rocks, you know. And that was and huge this, for, for me as yeah. well. That was so huge. Yeah. It was important yeah. to me that that happened. And yeah, I'm glad we chose to do that. And that wasn't really, that was kind of just like, it wasn't, I mean, you know, we were like, we didn't really have a plan for this. This is like uncharted territory for, for all of us. You know, we've never, we've never had to do this before. So yeah, uh, we figured out, we just figured out the best way to do it. And I think being honest with everybody was the best way to do it. Yeah. And I'm glad that we chose to do that. It made it, it, it made it not weird. <laughs> Just even yeah, as a fan, exactly. it made it not weird to like yeah. an audience member for like, whoa, that's holy shit, that's John Bo. Oh, oh shit, yeah. he's not gonna sing. What the? Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. if you're in the crowd yeah. and John himself is there handing off the baton on stage, uh, Joey's right, and I mean, and so are you, Jason. I mean, that goes a long way towards yeah, getting really the crowd did. to the crowd is you know all of a sudden they're they're on your side. They're like, wow, you know, John's in the building. And he's, you know, letting this guy take over and yeah. gives him his blessing. And wow, this is a unique show. We're not never going to see this again, you know? So yeah, there's a lot, of, of, yeah. a lot of similarities to the accepting is the fact that, well, there was only one show that I had to, I was on my own. Like I did a whole set 
with them the first night. And then oh, it was right. the next day Mark came out and we, he was in the room. He was there. We were tag team and it, he was there the whole time. So the fact that John was there the whole time and we were hanging and I have to confess, I was talking about this earlier. Uh, no, it was last night uh, with someone I was talking, you know, I got to vocalize with two legendary heavy metal singers who I completely respect. So just being able to warm up a little bit with John and like, I don't know if he, if he told you this or not, he may have, he may have not. I, I, I told John, it's like, God damn, you're loud. You're, I never realized you're so fucking loud. Can you do that quieter? <laughs> without, without, I said, John, can you, without sacrificing being John Bush, you know, your tone, which is what people want. Is there a way to save your, you know, save yourself a little bit? Cause God damn, he's just like a flamethrower. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's very, very loud. And I think that's why, you know, a singer that sings in that way, it can be more damaging, you know, to the vocal cords. Like you wow. say, you know, like if he were able to get that same tone, but like not as loud and not as forceful, yeah. they wouldn't have as much damage going on. But when someone like that, that sings in that way, when someone like that gets sick, it's all over. Like you can't, you can't sing, you know, yeah. it's, it's easier for someone who's maybe sings, uh, with a, in a method, maybe more like yours, where it's not so loud and more controlled and, and, uh, almost, I don't know, in your, in your nasal and your, yeah, in it's, your, a mix. In your it's a in mix. mix between. Yeah. Yeah. And it's less all here, you know? Uh, so that's why when John, that's why he oh, freaks all, out every time he gets sick. <laughs> he's all diagram. He's all diaphragm. He's all gut. Everything yeah. he's doing is just like, God, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, uh, it's it's impressive yeah. and it just it's fucking dangerous, man. Yeah, it's scary when if you're ever in the room with him when he's warming up, it's like, dude, really? What are you, what are you talking about? He can be in the back of the bus and the bus is shaking from his three dressing rooms away in the shower down yeah. the street, and you fucking hear yeah, it. Yeah. Oh my god! But anyway, it was it was a joy. Yeah, it it was a yeah, joy yeah. to just be able to vocalize with him and talk about technique and. And, yeah. even, and even with Mark a little bit too, who's also a loud, power, powerful, like gut singing voice too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you and that's you know, feather in your cap, man. Those are great feathers for your cap, you know, because great experiences, and you know, maybe you'd prefer to have them under different circumstances, but still, uh, still something that's once in a lifetime kind of thing. And of course, you know, it's crazy. But, yeah. You know, you, you kept us afloat and, uh, you know, we thank you for keeping us afloat. You're, yeah, he, he had I to call know. me on both occasions and you're welcome. Our... I don't know. <laughs> Under the circumstances, <laughs> you're... you're welcome. You know, yeah. I, I don't yeah. you uh, can say that. Yeah. He, Jason, <laughs> Jason had to call me on both occasions and, and cancel our podcast taping for the following weekend. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, this better be good. <laughs> not again and, uh, you know hey, and, and, and then of course i'm the guy the next morning on youtube going there he is look at the he's up he's on stage with armor saying he's on stage yeah, hey, with hey dave i can't man i'm sorry dude i, I have to cancel the the podcast okay. <laughs> and i have to call the artist i forget who it was it might have been uh 
Caton DePena. I think Caton, we had Caton, yeah. yeah, I think we had him. We were gonna interview him, and I'm like, dude, I, I can't I can't do it because I'm gonna be fronting Armored Saint for a week. Click. <laughs> what what, what? Yeah. Jason, Jason, pick back up. Because yeah. I didn't wanna, you know, like rock. So it's like, it's like the phone call that came from both camps, except an armored saint trickled down through Jason to me. And I was like, I had the same reaction that everybody along the line did this. What? Huh? Awesome. You know, I, I saw jokes online. Is, is Jason just singing the alphabet? You know, except. <laughs> Yeah, we were waiting for Aerosmith because I think about three weeks ago, Steven oh, Tyler had to cancel a bunch of shows. So. Oh, that's right. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, Joey, man. tell us, tell us what you're doing. What does the future hold for Joey Vera? You're, you're, you know, that last tour was pretty long uh, for you guys, if I'm not mistaken. I don't recall Armored Saint being on the road for that length of time in recent years. So, yeah, uh, it was long. What's on what's on the horizon for you as far as Armored Saint, Merciful Fate, uh, Fate's Warning, all your various projects? Where do you go next? Well, uh, immediately, I guess the first thing up is um, Merciful Fate is going to be doing some recording. Um, I, I'm told that we're um, going to release at least one song, if not potentially maybe two songs um, in the next year next 12 months or so awesome so they want to do this in lieu of like you know writing an album's worth of material and waiting to put out a full record they uh, they want to release these songs uh in particular the song we were playing live called uh the jackal of salzburg Mm. and um so the immediate plans is to to get that first song done so i was just um emailing with Hank the other day, in fact. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting for my, my, uh, uh, you know, uh, pro tools session parts and stuff so that I can play my parts at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're finishing them some things up. I'm told the drums are done, but they're doing rhythm guitars now and stuff like that. So, um, hopefully in the next a couple of weeks, I should be getting the tracks and I'll play my bass parts down and, and then King has to sing, and I don't know when they plan on releasing it, but sometime this year, I think, is the plan. That's exciting, um, man. Yeah, really cool. Um, and uh, does King and do, I'm told does, there's a second song. Does King do? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do, does King does his do his vocals in Texas? Does he still lives in Texas? <clears throat> yeah, he still does live in Texas, and the rest of the band is in Europe, uh, spread across. Uh, Copenhagen and Sweden, but um, I don't think he's ever done his vocals other than demos at at his house. He does have a Pro Tools, a pretty decent Pro Tools setup from what I gather, but I don't think he's really engineered himself on record, but he has done a bunch of demo tapes and stuff. I mean, demo recordings, Um, sorry, tapes. but uh <laughs> no it's fine um, it's what we call all of the same age oh, yeah. Okay. yeah exactly <laughs> so i don't know what he plans on doing this time to be honest if he plans on maybe bringing in an engineer to work with him at his place or if he has a studio in texas or if he plans on going back to europe which i kind of doubt he'll do i think he would prefer to stay close to home yeah. so um i'm guessing he'll be doing it some somewhere around uh his hometown and uh yeah that should 
I mean, like I said, that should be happening in the next couple of weeks or next month. Nice. And then there's a second song I'm told is also happening after that. Um, so I'm just kind of on in a holding pattern for that second song. And then in the meantime, um, I'm starting to look into stuff for Armored Saint again. Nice. We have a potential, uh, another potential tour possibly, but um, I won't have news on that for another, pretty soon, another couple of weeks. We should have some news about what's happening, but that would be later in later in the year. Um, so, uh, and really, that's about it. Solidly, yeah. um, there has been some talk about potentially doing something with Fates, but I don't know what that is. It could be, yeah. you know, Fates hasn't hasn't done anything since um, our Long Day Goodnight. Uh, record came out during the pandemic in 20 in fact it came out a month after the armored saint record came out punching the sky um, in october of 2020 so both those records came out within a month of each other fates just hasn't um uh, been able to get our schedules together to do any kind of touring or i mean the world really only just opened up last spring anyway yeah. so we're we're kind of stroke trying to get our feet and figure out what we're going to do still a bunch, of, on, a bunch of catch-up happening there's still a bunch yeah. of catch up happening, exactly. And, you know, we're we're kind of suffering that that long line. And um that's really about it so far. You know, there's also some loose talk about Motor Sister potentially doing something, but I don't know what that is either. It could either be maybe some live shows or potentially doing some more recording with that. That's some um, good. That's some good stuff, by the way. Tell everybody about Motor Sister a little bit, real quick. Who's in the band? Yeah. And so Motor Sister kind of came out of uh, just a bunch of friends uh, and their love for this local band called Mother Superior here in L.A., um, which was mostly headed by um, the main songwriter. His name is Jim Wilson, who uh, Scott Ian introduced me to in like the early two thousands. We became fast friends, and um, uh, during one of Scott's uh, birthday parties, he said, uh, I want to, this band Mother Superior disbanded about five, six years ago, maybe even longer. Um, so they were kind of a defunct band, and Scott, for his birthday, wanted to get together with some of his friends and just jam some Mother Superior songs just to celebrate our love for this band. So. He called me, we were, we were having a party at his house. He had a jam room set up and he asked me to play bass and Jim Wilson was called to sing and play guitar. Scott was gonna play guitar. And then he called John Tempesta, who's another dear friend of ours, drummer for The Cult, Testament, White Zombie, you know. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, great friend and yeah. great drummer. Uh, and then his wife, Pearl, Pearl Day, to also sing. And we just got together and we jammed and had drinks and played these songs and it was so much fun. You know, it was just for no reason, just a jam. It was just great, great times. So that eventually turned into a real band. <laughs> and we, Tracy was my wife. Uh, Tracy was there. Tracy Vera, who is the president of metal blade. And, you know, she just, we just had this light bulb moment. Like you guys should make a record sometime, like just the same people and just for fun and play these same songs. We were like, really? And sure enough, Metal Blade gave us a record deal and we went in and we played all the songs that we played at the party. 
it was the weirdest thing, but we played live in a studio and that's what Motor Sister, that's how Motor Sister got started. And that first record came out and I think in 15 or 16 or something like that. And then uh, we just did a second record, which came out last April. Um, and it's called Get Off. And it's on also on Metal Blade Records. And that's our second record. And it's the first record we've done collectively all new material. So we actually got together and jammed out and wrote these 10 songs as a band. And, uh, and we did it the same. We all played live in a room, which is a breath of fresh air for me. You don't get to do that like that anymore. It's always like, you know, I get stuff sent to me in an email and then I play my parts at home and I send it back, you know? Right. Uh, so this it's, it was, it's been nice. Motor Sister is an actual live rock and roll band. We play as a band in the studio live and it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, you know, we still kind of are following that, um, that sort of musical style of, uh, Mother Superior was born out of a 1970s hard rock thing. Yeah. And we, we still stick to that pretty much, but you know, you got Scott Ian on guitar and you got Johnny T on drums and it's, so the energy level starts to go higher, you know? Nice. So it's a little harder than the first record, but it's still a hard rock record and great songs. Jim's, Jim's an amazing songwriter. So uh, it's a lot of fun. If you people haven't seen it, haven't checked it out yet. It's a lot of fun. You can see the YouTube videos as a, as a primer and then go from there. Motor yeah. sister. Yeah, I uh, I have I got a CD somewhere in my collection, uh, Mother Superior, and I remember hearing yeah. that and thinking, "Wow, this is a great band." And great band. You know, of course, it's, it it flew under the radar; not many people heard of it. But I remember yeah. hearing and thinking it was right up my alley. It's just good, dirty yeah. uh, rock and roll. And, great band. Yeah. And what just I a heard, trio, just power trio, just three guys, and just but just such a great band and an amazing live too. It, they didn't play that much, but we'd see them in LA and small clubs, you know, with hardly any people. And we're just like, why doesn't everybody get this? You know, it's so yeah, good. Yeah. You know? And so Mother so, Superior, or I'm sorry, Motor Sister is born out of your admiration for, for Mother Superior. So yep. anyone listening or watching should check out both those bands. Cause I, I absolutely really, really like the vibe that you're, that you guys are playing with those, with those bands. And Absolutely. I'm sorry. Did it, did you say your your wife is the president of Metal Blade Records? Did she I is. That? Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She she's been with the company for quite a long time uh, since 1990. Wow. Um, and in fact, that's where we met. Uh, we met while we were recording Symbol of Salvation, and she had just started there, like in um, production. I guess she was starting it, um, and you know, she just got into the label came up she had just newly moved here from the east coast and was one of her first jobs and she just stuck it out and she's been there ever since and just totally just i mean worked her ass off all the way up to president pretty pretty impressive yeah <laughs> and uh she's i've learned a lot from her and she's learned she basically taught herself how to run a run a multi-million dollar record company that's amazing. uh so I'm pretty proud of her. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You she's, she's awesome. Yeah. Killing it. Killing it. Power yeah, couple. She's power, killing it. Power couple. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. Well, man, we uh, can't thank you enough for sharing your stories with us today and, uh, and, and, and for completing the Armored Saint lineup on the Talk Loud podcast. <laughs> we now had every member of the band 
on our well, show. I didn't, I didn't have to, I was going to say earlier, Dave, you know, when I, in one of those, you know, Hey, will you be on my show talks? Five five hour dressing room hangs waiting for sound check kind of moments. Yeah. I was like, Joey, you know, you're the only one that hasn't been. Oh, get it done. I was so I didn't have to twist his arm. So bless you. Not at all. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, You know, I love your podcast. I've I've watched uh, I've watched them all. So. Um, I like the, I like the conversational part of it. I think it's really cool. Um, and, uh, I appreciate you bringing me in to complete your lineup here. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It's been Uh, my honor. Oh, well, we love hearing stuff like that. Yeah. It's actually been our honor, but that's nice of you to say. (laughs) Thanks for for slumming it with us. Yeah, thank you for slumming it with us on our uh, yeah. Mouse podcast. Yeah, uh, this was so hard. <laughs> yeah, well, we try we try to keep it easy. I mean, look who's in charge. I mean, come on, you. you <laughs> we try to keep it easy on ourselves and our guests. So uh, we thank you. Well, for I thank you. I thank you again. Yeah, man, and uh, continued success in everything you do. Uh, I know you've got your hands in a lot of uh, in a lot of projects, and uh, we thank wish you continued success with all of that. And. Thank you. Uh, Hopefully you'll find your way back to Texas and maybe we can catch up with you in person again next time you're around. That sounds like a must. Yeah. Absolutely. Until then, on behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our special guest today, Joey Vera of Armored Saint. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, everybody, and best wishes to you all for the new year. 